Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revive Podcast. We're excited you're here. This podcast will include our Sunday morning Sunday school class, our worship night teachings, and an occasional fun interviews. I'm excited to share with you this week's episode. I want you to know that this passage today is an exciting passage for me. Um, I think every pastor says that about every passage he ever preaches. Um, But the reason this is so exciting for me is because it's inspiring. If I just like took the coolness off of whatever, this passage just inspires me. Uh, It gets me excited. It it makes me want to go and be about the kingdom of God in my life makes me want to go and do the call that God has asked us to to do, to be a part of the kingdom. Acts 11 is that passage for me. But in order for us to understand Acts 11, I need to start in Acts chapter 8. So if we can go Acts chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. If you remember, Acts 7 was the stoning of Stephen, okay? And we're going to see over and over and over again that the stoning of Stephen had huge implications on the growth of the church. Because we already saw that who was present at the stoning of Stephen? Saul. Saul was present. And Jeremiah notated that as as Stephen was praying, saying, Father, forgive them while he was dying, that God actually fulfilled that prayer request and forgave Saul, Paul, and used Paul for the purpose of his his kingdom. But furthermore, we're going to read a little bit about what happened right after Stephen dies and why that's important for the growth of the church. So go to Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to start with, and there arose. So verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Let's stop there. A couple things I want to point y'all's attention to. Y'all understand where it's at. Stephen has literally just died. He's died a martyr's death. When we say martyr's death, we mean that he's someone that has died because he believed in Jesus. He believed in the gospel, right? And he's proclaiming this idea that Jesus was the Christ. We talked about that real quickly. We'll do a brief review. The idea of Christ meant coming Messiah, the ruling, uh, the one who would reign over the people of Israel, the one that all the Old Testament was building up to. They said that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, and furthermore, that he was God. So that's what Stephen died for. He died preaching that. He died convinced that Jesus was God and preaching that. And this one man dying convinced of what he believed had these huge ripple effects across the church. Uh, There's there's an old, old, old quote that says, the death of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That when someone is willing to die for what they believe, it actually creates momentum for the cause of Christ. And that as the, because they have died, this now becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, the church now begins to take more momentum because of death. Or just imagine if someone died for something, you would say, oh man, they died because they believed this. I better sit and listen to what they believed. There's now an audience for that. Does that make sense? Uh, I heard a story about a missionary the other day that was being imprisoned and his uh, the ones that were kind of torturing him said, 
okay, we're going we're gonna to kill you. And he said, actually, I don't think that's a good idea for you. You know, I, I don't like this. The missionary thinks he can bargain. Um, he says, hear me out. If you kill me, it'll actually be worse for you because my death will bring about more and more and more people to Christ. So you should actually make, you know, let me stay alive. And because they were so convinced based upon other people's deaths, they said, you're right, we can't kill you and let him go. And so he literally got free access to go to any village and preach the gospel and no one would say anything to him because they understood that the killing him would mean a ripple effect, would mean a movement of God and they didn't want that. So rather he just went and preached everywhere and people came to know Jesus. So it worked out great either way. But you see that things happen when people are willing to lay down their life for their faith. But what does it say about in Acts chapter 8? It says that they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. They all fled. So Stephen dies and all of the believers, remember the church was born at Pentecost and they're all there in Jerusalem. They're having church together. They're doing life together. There's this incredible unity. Then Stephen dies and they're like, we're out of here. And so they take off, which, I mean, kind of makes sense. I, I can understand it. So they, they take off to different regions all across the globe, except the apostles. Why is this important? Well, because the, the church leaders stayed in Jerusalem, because they were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So it makes sense that they would stay, right? But they stayed, and everybody else left. So when you see churches appear, it wasn't because the apostles started them. It was because regular people started them. Does that make sense? We're going to hear about that a little more. And furthermore, it says, look out on verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They, they left and they, were, and they got out of Jerusalem, but they weren't saying, all right, we're done teaching about Jesus being the Christ. They said, okay, we're going to keep doing that, but we're just going to leave this area because we might die. So they dispersed to different regions. And that's how you hear about Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. That's how you hear about uh, the word of God coming to a village in Samaria. Um, and, and that's how you hear about the gospel progressing and moving to different people's lives. In the conversion of Saul, you meet a man named Ananias. Ananias was probably one of those men that scattered at the death of Stephen. And where he was, God told him to do a specific thing, and he responded with a yes. So you see that over and over again. Well, now we've got a pattern. So go to Acts chapter 11. We're going to, we'll be in verse 19, but let me kind of set this up. So in the first part of Acts chapter 11, Peter has had a vision. God's given him a vision. And in this vision, he pretty much receives from the Lord um, this call to go be with this Gentile family. And Gentile family is important here because so much of this has been centered around Jewish, the Jewish people. And he gets this call to go to this Gentile family, and this Gentile family essentially receives a word from the Lord too. Uh, and those words of the Lord kind of like meet in this really miraculous moment where they come together like, hey, I'm supposed to find a guy named Peter. He's like, hey, I'm supposed to find a guy named this. <laughs> and they're like, oh. And then they, they come together in this house, and, and Peter um, gets his opportunity because the guy gathers all of his friends and he says, God told us you have something to tell us. So here's 30 of my closest friends, go. All right, first of all, how cool would that be? All right, all right, so here's Peter in this moment and he says, okay, well, here's the gospel. 
And Peter shares the gospel. And these people come to know the Lord, as we would say. They believe in Jesus for salvation as Gentiles and receive the Spirit. This is huge because only Jewish people had received the Spirit of God for, in, in a large variety. But now you have a, you've, you've had a person here or a person here who's Gentile come to know the Lord. But now you've got this, this mass conversion of people who aren't Jewish. That's huge for our faith. How many of us are Jewish, right? We're Gentiles. And because the gospel came to the Gentiles is the reason that we know the Lord today. Do y'all see that? So, why is this so important? Well, it becomes so important because there begins to be this culture of Gentiles coming to know the Lord. This momentum is spreading. This momentum is spreading. And, and that is where we pick up in verse 19 of chapter 11. So let's read this. I want us to read through 26. And then we'll go back and talk about it for a while. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. I want to real quick say that the Hellenists is another way you can think of that, is Greeks, okay? They spoke to people who were Greek. Also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. There it is. We can now use the phrase we all know, Christians. And it was in Antioch they were first called Christians. So I want to talk a little about how this church started. And what does the text say? It says that when, when Stephen died, everybody took off. And people traveled to all these different cities. But they didn't share the gospel with anyone except Jews. Did y'all catch that? It says, speaking the word to no one except Jews. That was in verse 19. So that's the precedent, that Jesus Christ was the king of the Jews and that we're going to go and tell the Jews that the Christ has come. And it would make sense why they went to the Jews because there's, there's precedent for this kind of conversation. Does this make sense? But what happens? Look in verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks, Greek-speaking, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now this is different. This is different. This is people who are saying, actually, let's, this Jesus is so incredible. Let's actually tell people who aren't Jewish. Okay. But what do we know about this? It says, there were some of them, people of Cy Cyprus and Cyrene. You know what doesn't give us? Their names. I, we don't know who started the church in Antioch. We have no idea. But some of them, everybody fled after Stephen died, and some of them 
started the church in Antioch. Some of us are convinced that to be a part of the work of God is to also boost our own ego and to boost our own name and image of ourselves. And the church of Antioch was literally started by some of them. The work of God was remembered, but not the people's names. That's powerful. Because if you're like me, you're like, yeah, God, I want to be used by you, but I hope they remember my name. Right? We're chuckling, but we all know it's true. And here, just some of them. Some of them. But what happened? Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's awesome. These random dudes showed up in a town and said, you know what? Let's tell the Greeks. These aren't like sororities and fraternities. These are like actual Greek people, by the way. <laughs> and uh, although if some of you all have a burden in your heart to tell the Greeks, we can figure that out too. He says, let's tell the Greeks. The Hellenist, as they would call them. And they're like, yeah, it's a good idea. And so some of them, when did it? And what happens? The hand of the Lord is with them. And a great number turned to the Lord. God blesses this passion. Okay, so let's take this another step, another step, because it's so practical. People found themselves in Antioch. Now, the reason was because they were fleeing after the death of Stephen, but the re reality is they just kind of found themselves living in Antioch. They found themselves in Antioch. In the midst of just finding themselves in there, they go, you know, we should tell these Greeks about Jesus. And so they did. And God blessed them, and a church is formed with no apostles. Y'all see that? All of the seminary graduates of the time aren't present. Normal dudes were there. Normal men and women make up this church. No religious leaders. And word got back to Jerusalem, hey, there's a church in Antioch that needs a pastor. Just think of it like that. Imagine if there was a church in a, in a town that was thriving, that was doing the work of God, that just needed a pastor. That's what this is. And it's, it, word comes back to Barnabas, and so he just, I don't know, goes on a, a mission just to check it out. And he, gets, he comes there, and he's like, he said he's so glad because the grace of God that is there. The grace of God, the goodness of God, the power of God is on display in these normal, everyday people's lives. And not only is it on display inside the church, but the church is made of a people of the community. And the community is coming to know the Lord. And there's this whole high-functioning church thing that's happening with no leadership. Why is this so important? Man, it's because normal, everyday, ordinary people started a church. Ordinary people full of the power of the Spirit started the church in Antioch. Ordinary, unnamed people. What might God want to do with ordinary, unnamed people? And that just gets me so excited. That God can go about the business of planting churches. That's essentially what this was. It went from zero to, like, let's just say 100. I don't know what the number was. The numbers aren't in here. It's not that important, but it's healthy. A healthy church from nothing. That's called planting a church. And, it, and this pastor didn't do it. Normal, everyday people did it. 
In other words, people whose job wasn't ministry. And in this room, if I were to ask you, how many of y'all get a paycheck for ministry? It'd be like me <laughs> and not y'all. And what that means is that y'all were the ones that planted the church in the book of Acts in Antioch. Like normal people did this. Uh, this just makes me so excited. Okay. If normal people started a church, that Barnabas shows up, he doesn't even rebuke them at all. You know, normally, like, when the pastor shows up, he'll be like, all right, y'all are doing this good, but you really need to stop doing this, this, and this, right? Like, that's the New Testament. <laughs> yeah. Like, Paul rebukes the church in Corinthians, like, a ton. <laughs> like, hey, y'all got this right, but you need to stop doing this. No, Barnabas shows up. He's like, this looks great. <laughs> this is awesome. So much so that he says, I, I know a guy named Saul. I'm going to call him Paul because it's easier. Named Paul. I'm going to bring him. I'm gonna, he, can, he should come check this out. Why is this important? This is the first time Paul is ever coming to a church as a new convert. This is Paul's first ministry thing. He did, he did some preaching, but the first time he lived in a church as a leader of a church, Antioch. And where was that church started? By normal, ordinary people full of the power of the Holy Spirit that had the fuel of seeing Stephen die for what he believed. He, they came to Antioch and let's, they said, let's do something about it. Gosh, I want to be those people that come to places and say, let's do something about this. There are people who don't know the Lord. Let's do something about it. Gosh, I'm, I, I just get inspired. So this is what happens. Saul gets started with ministry here. And it's here that they're first called Christians. They live their life in a way that resembled who Jesus was so much that people started calling them Christians. And it was kind of a mockery term of the word Christian literally means little Christ, like you live like Christ. And, and they say like, yeah, you guys are those Christians. You act like Jesus. <laughs> that sounds great. But they were mocking them these ordinary people full of the Holy Spirit, they were mocking them. But how is it that an ordinary person can look like Jesus? It makes sense that Jesus was Jesus because he's the son of God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the savior. He's the Christ. It makes sense that Jesus could look like Jesus. But why is it that ordinary people, the text says some of them, could look like Jesus? Why is it? Is it not because of the Holy Spirit within them? The Holy Spirit within ordinary people makes people look like Jesus to their community. It wasn't that they came up with the name of Christian themselves. They didn't look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know, I do look a lot like Jesus. <laughs> I do need to be called a Christian. I look a lot like the Christ. Yep. No, that's not what happened. People saw them acting in a way that reminded them a lot about Jesus. And they said, oh, those are, those, that's like Christians. Ordinary people. Gosh, I want to be ordinary people that look like Jesus. But not by, based upon my own definition, based upon a lost community. You guys look like Christians. But often the word Christian can become like a negative connotation, like, oh, you're just acting like a Christian. Let, let's, let's change the narrative. What if Christian meant 
I'm going to be someone who cares for my community. I'm going to be someone who helps my community, tells them about Jesus, loving, kind, full of the Spirit. What if that's the real term for Christian? Because Christian can be defined as anything now. But here, it's because they look like Jesus. Look at this, verse 27 through 30. This is exciting. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. All right, it's getting real. Prophets are coming down. All right. And one of them named Agabus, it's a rough name, but one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. All right, let's stop there. Agabus stands up and he says, hey, um, I'm a prophet. You don't need to know that, but I'm a prophet. And there's going to be a famine over all the world. You know what I love about the Bible? is that um, the things that happen in the Bible aren't fiction. They actually happened. You know, there's historical record that during the reign of Claudius, there was a great large famine. Okay? So this is real. So there's a famine that happened. And he says, just so I want you all to be aware. So how does the church respond? Look at verse 29. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The church that got started by ordinary people full of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Maddie. All right, so ordinary people full of the Holy Spirit hear about a famine, and what do they do? They said, oh, we'll just give you some food. They cared for the spiritual needs of a community and then also deeply cared for the physical needs of a community. And so that a church started by ordinary people cared for spiritual needs and physical needs. Reese, I've got a slide up there that says four elements of a healthy church. And this story tells us four elements of a healthy church. Look at the first element. Is it up there? There it is. Okay. The first element. They engage lostness. They saw a community that didn't know Jesus, and they said, let's tell them about Jesus. Uh, number two, discipleship. I put encouragement there because when, when Barnabas shows up, he's like, all right, I'm going to help these new believers follow Jesus. I'm going to help them learn how to say yes to Jesus. At Fredonia Hill, we use a phrase called apprenticeship to Jesus, where we follow in the ways of Jesus. But he shows up, and what does he do? He goes, oh, this is already doing great. I just, and he encourages them. And he must have done it really well because there's two verses in here about how great Barnabas was. Um, how he talks about how he exhorted them all to remain faithful to that purpose because he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was of faith. And so when Barnabas showed up, he, he did exactly what he needed to do. The church was so healthy, he didn't have to rebuke them. He just needed to encourage them. Number three, they cared for the physical needs of others. There's a famine. Okay, let's get some food. Engage lostness, discipleship, caring for physical needs. And what's the fourth one? Sending people out for the work that God has for them. Okay, why is this important? Oh, man. Well, go to Acts 13. All right, here we go. The first three verses of Acts 13. This is it. This is the moment. Uh, number four on that list. Acts 13. Are we there? No? Okay, okay. Acts 13. Are we there now? Acts 13? This is yes. Oh, come on, people. Wake up. All right. I've, I've had enough coffee for all six of us. Come on. So, like, let's do it. All right. Acts 13. Whew. Now, 
there were in the church at Antioch prophets, we just heard about that, Agabus, and teachers. Shout out to Barnabas. All right. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. Hey, we finally get a guy from Cyrene. Look, it says earlier, it says some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. We finally get one of their names, a whole chapter later. Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. But look at this, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They're at a worship night. There's like six of them, and they're worshiping and fasting. And the Holy Spirit talks to them and says, set apart Paul and Barnabas because there's more work to be done. What we've got going on here in Antioch is good. Set apart Paul and Barnabas. But that doesn't make sense. The church that was started by ordinary people now has leadership. And you're telling us to remove the leadership because there's more work to be done. Like, does that make sense? You all tracking what's happening? The Holy Spirit is saying, not only are we going to send people from your congregation, we're going to send the best. Send the ones that are teaching. Send the leaders. And Paul and Barnabas leave. It says they were sent off. Not just that they left, but they were sent why is this so important? Well, this is Acts 13, and there's a lot more in the book of Acts, okay? And every single letter that Paul's ever written in the New Testament hasn't been written yet. And if Paul and Barnabas would have stayed in Antioch and just stayed there until they were old, those churches that were planted by Paul, are they planted? The the, the churches that Barnabas plants, are they planted? The letters that are written, are they planted? The discipleship in Timothy's life, does it happen? But because they were willing to say yes to God and be sent to where Jesus had them, these things happen. My friends, we can get so, so, so comfortable in the state that God has us in where things are going good that we never ask the Lord, God, where are you sending me? What do you have for me? College is the ultimate sending. When you graduate, you're going to leave. Most of you, I never did. <laughs> like, you're going to leave. And do you want to leave just because, like, well, I got an degree, so I guess I'll go back home? Or do you want to be sent? That in a moment of worship and fasting, asking the Lord, God, what do you have for me? Where am I going? That the Holy Spirit interrupts their worship meeting, not interrupt, maybe just enhances, right? Enhances their worship time and says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. Like, what if, what if God did that? What if you're trying to figure out what's next for your life? And so you decided to worship and fast on a regular basis because I need to hear from God. But I, I think about, again, the church in Antioch, ordinary people who found themselves in Antioch. Do you know Antioch's 300 miles away from Jerusalem? 
So like when they fled from Jerusalem, they fled. <laughs> and they f- just found themselves in Antioch. And they're like, let's start a church. After you graduate, some of y'all are going to find yourself somewhere. <laughs> I don't mean that like psychologically. <laughs> I mean like you're going to wake up and you're going to live in Houston or you're going to be in Colorado or whatever, right? And in that moment, what will you do? What will be your response? Um, there's a quote uh, that I love. It, it says, I think, I think I got it up here. It says, whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. So if God's made you really good at teaching, teach for God's glory, not for your own, but teach somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Where is a place that people need godly teachers? And she's as an example, okay? Where can you work to help advance the kingdom of God? In Antioch, there was nothing, so they started a church. You might find yourself moving to some random city in Texas for your job. Okay, I'm going to be about this church, not just because I'm here, but because strategically I'm going to invest in this community with purpose. Because I've been sent to this place. But do you know that God's not just going to send you, but he's already sent you to Nacogdoches? God's sending you out from Nacogdoches, but he has sent you here. And right now, Nacogdoches might as well be spelled Antioch. I didn't, I didn't pass kindergarten. But like, <laughs> this is Antioch where ordinary people full of the Spirit of God can respond and be forgotten and make an impact in a kingdom. Ordinary people. And so what's the invitation? I was trying to figure this out. I think it's just like, come be a part of the church. Like, come here. Like, come engage the lostness. You might say, no, that's for the leaders. No, it's for ordinary people. We don't like the term ordinary. All of us want to be special. (laughs) But ordinary people started the church. Come care for the physical needs of a community. A guy stood up and said, there's a famine. And another guy stood up and says, I've got a farm. And they took care of it. What are the physical needs of the people you encounter right now? What are their needs? Who's broke and just needs to be taken out for dinner? Like, who has no money and you could take them out for dinner? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys can come over for dinner anytime. Dinner at 6 p.m., 225 Rusk. But, like, what are the physical needs? You see people in our community. How do we care for our community? But, and being ready to sense. I'm going to talk to you seniors. You're about to leave, whether you want to or not. And, we, yeah, we can cry and we can boo-hoo. But guess what? I'm pretty sure Acts 13 was also boohooing and they were crying because their dear friend was leaving, Paul and Barnabas. But not just leaving, they were being sent. God, what do you have for me? You guys, if, if, I'm, there's no doubt in my mind that if you're a senior, you've been asking that before the Lord. I would encourage you, worship and fast. And think about that quote, whatever you're good at, do it for the glory of God, but do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Where can your light burn in darkness? 
If, the, if, if your light, if your life is a candle, would you rather be in a room that already has 100 candles or would you rather be in a room that has two so that your light can shine bright? Where might God be calling you? And how can we help you in that? And I'm not just saying that because that sounds a fun thing to say to the pastor. No, how can I help you with that? Come set up an appointment with me. How can I help you? I want to help because we're, we want to be sent by God. All right, I'm getting hyped up. I hope you all see why the church in Antioch is so incredible. Because normal people said yes to Jesus. And it caused such a commotion that they had to send down two pastors. And all these prophets showed up. And then they sent out Paul and Barnabas. And the church of Antioch, it's not done. It's coming back up again in the book of Acts. It ends up being this sending hub where people would come and they'd be sent. And they'd come and they'd be sent. Like a capital for the missions of God. And it starts by ordinary people. So whatever God is asking you to do, I just pray you respond with a yes. And uh, I'm going to pray before I run out of time. God, thank you so much for the church in Antioch. God, we want to be that church. We want to be a church full of ordinary people who say yes to you, full of the Spirit of God. We want to engage lostness. We want to disciple each other. We want to encourage each other. God, we want to care for the physical needs of a community. And we want you to, be, to send us, Lord. We believe that not only are you going to send us, but you've sent us. And God, open our eyes to the people around us. Help us not to go through the everyday mundane motions of life and miss the work that you have for us. God, we are so ingrained in our habits and our routines that we miss it. But we don't want that, God. We want to be the people who just found themselves in Antioch and we decided to plant a church. We want to be a people who are doing your work, God. So much. And so, Lord, I pray that in our heart we respond with a yes. For your glory, not for our own. Yes, God, for your glory. Yes. And I pray for courage in these students who are kind of scared to do what you might ask them to do. Courage for the senior who's leaving. Courage, Lord, for the heart. That you would give them direction and guidance, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, what's up, y'all? I got three announcements. So uh, over the past two weeks, um, we've been doing Wednesday night studies. Um, these are church-wide studies, um, and we've been going over faith and sexuality. Um, if you haven't showed up, come this next Wednesday. It starts at 6 p.m. Uh, it's a really good time. Uh, worship night. So we don't have a worship night this Thursday, but we have one the next Thursday. Um, and if you haven't caught on, we have a worship night the first Thursday of each month. Um, so yeah, mark your calendar for next Thursday night. Uh, and then if you, I guess all of y'all received one of these things when you walked in. Uh, if you did not go to the graveyard cleaning, it's okay. We are inviting you to the next one, which is November 5th, uh, starting at 8 a.m. to noon. Um, so yeah, we, if you, okay, so there's an Afro-American graveyard that we cleaned up, if you don't know, um, and it hasn't been kept up with, but um, Melina James, her parents put on, I guess, some movement, I don't know, I don't know what you would call it, they put on some movement uh, to clean up the graveyard, and uh, we're just going to clean it up, make it look nice, and so we're inviting you to the next one.
So yeah, you are dismissed. <laughs>